Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. The format of the meeting is two 10-minute speakers followed by our information break, and then our main speaker, who will speak for 30 minutes. Our first 10-minute speaker is Lucy. Hi, I'm Lucy. I'm an alcoholic. Can you hear me? Oh, good. I'm so glad that so many people made it here tonight. Um, I was thinking about it on the way here, and, uh, you know, part of me was saying, well, you know, is anyone even going to show up? Should I even go? And uh, and then I was thinking, you know, if it were a matter of me getting to the bar, I would walk five miles if I had to. Um, you know, forget about a transit strike. So anyway, I'm glad to be here. Um, I'd like to thank Melissa for asking me to speak. It's such an honor to be asked to speak at a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, you know, I've been reflecting on uh, on where I came from, and when I came to these rooms, I was just... I was a mess. I was a shell of a person. Um, and I, I saw the light in all of your eyes, and I wanted what you had, but I really had no idea how that was going to happen. Um, I didn't believe that, that I could have this thing, that I could be happy, joyous, and free. And um, I'm standing here today, and for the most part, I'm happy, joyous, and free most of the time. Um, and I have a design for living, so when I when I run into problems, I have a solution, and I have people who can point me to the solution when I forget what the solution is, um, and I'm really grateful for that. So just a little bit about where I come from. Um, you know, from a very early age, like many of you, I felt like I was different from everybody else. I thought there was something terribly wrong with me, and I didn't know how to do life, and I didn't get the manual that all the other kids got. Um, I didn't get the same parents that they all got, um, and there was something wrong with me, and I was never going to do well. I was uncomfortable in my own skin, um, and when I discovered alcohol at age 11, um, that was the first time I really felt a sense of ease and comfort ever in my life. Um, I believe I was born an alcoholic. I don't really care to debate that. It doesn't matter too much. Um, I'm an alcoholic. You know, regardless of how I became an alcoholic, it doesn't matter. Um, so when I, when I first picked up alcohol, I, first of all, I knew that I was destined to drink. I, I saw it in my family, and I knew that it was, it was something that I was going to do one day. And that day came when I was 11 years old. Um, things were not good in my family for me. Um, I was really uncomfortable and um, didn't know how to manage any of my feelings, didn't have a relationship with a higher power. I felt like I was very much alone in the world. And when I picked up alcohol, I, I felt comfortable in my skin. I felt a false sense of courage. I felt like I was a part of life. Um, and I started drinking regularly when I was about 13. And I thought it was normal because the other kids at school were doing it too. And we go to parties and we get wasted. And, um, and I thought it was normal. And looking back on it with a sponsor, when I did my first step, I realized that my reaction to alcohol was never normal. Um, normal people don't feel that they're destined to abuse alcohol. <laughs> you know, and normal people don't um, have a couple of beers and end up taking off all their clothes in public. And that sort of thing would happen to me regularly. Um, I don't really want to go into all the sordid details here at the podium, but um, suffice it to say that um, I acted very abnormally when I drank alcohol. And I got into a lot of trouble. And um, one of the things that happened to me was I started to get very, very depressed when I started drinking regularly. So when I wasn't drunk, I was in a state of just dark depression and um, feeling suicidal. And my parents thought, well, you should see a therapist and go on medication. And the therapist, you know, at a certain point said, well, you should really be hospitalized. And so I went to my first rehab when I was 14 for depression. 
And um, by the grace of God, my roommate there was an alcoholic, and she was going to AA meetings in the rehab. And I went with her just to check it out. And when I walked into this room and I heard the people telling their stories, for the first time in my life I felt like, oh, these are my people. Like, they get what's going on with me. I don't know why. I don't think I'm an alcoholic, but this feels like a safe place. And um, I proceeded to go out and drink and do drugs and all sorts of other things uh, for many years. And not many years, but many years after that. Um, I was in rehab three times total. After the third rehab, they said, thank you. You're an alcoholic, and you cannot drink safely, and you can't leave here unless you go to AA meetings every day. And the choice that I had before me was go to AA meetings every day or never go home and stay in a lockdown facility. And so I went to AA meetings every day, and I had a great time. I loved Alcoholics Anonymous from the very beginning. Um, I had a sponsor who I didn't work the steps with, but I would hang out with a lot, and I thought that was just great. And... Um, after six months away from a drink, I went on vacation and I had this lurking notion that I could control my drinking like other people that I saw. And I decided that I would have a beer and that I could have just one beer. And I did. I was at a pub and I was out with people and I had a beer and that was it that night. And four months later, I was getting drunk and high every day. I got kicked out of my school, and I was sent to reform school. I was having violent arguments with my mother. My life was completely unmanageable, and it was all your fault. It had nothing to do with me. It was, you know, my parents' fault. It was the school's, you know, and the list goes on. So um, anyway, just to fast forward a little bit, I kept drinking that way until I was 22. Um, I managed to graduate from college. I have no idea how. I was drunk a lot of the time. I did have periods of controlled drinking where I would substitute with other addictions. Um, but, you know, bottom line was that I was an alcoholic suffering from untreated alcoholism. So when I was 22, I was in another program, and my sponsor in that program was also sober in AA, and she suggested that I might have a problem with drinking. And I had really a moment of grace where I was willing to put down alcohol. Um, before, whenever people would try and 12-step me back into AA, I would say, you know, no, not for me, been there, done that, you know, I'm not an alcoholic. And um, for some reason, I was willing to listen to this woman when she suggested that I had a problem. And I put down alcohol, and um, I wish I could tell you that I came to meetings every day, got a sponsor, worked the steps, but I didn't do it that way. I did it my way, um, which was to move to Colorado. And um, I lost my job and moved to Colorado, and I had about 18 months dry, and I was really just on the verge of either committing, my, committing suicide or picking up alcohol, you know, I had it in my head that, again, I could have one glass of wine, um, or the other option was to get shoulder surgery so that I could get a morphine drip, um, because that sounded really, really good to me at that point. And, uh, again, by the grace of God, I went to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous in this tiny little mountain town. There's a meeting every day there. And raised my ha hand and said, you know, I'm suffering from untreated alcoholism. I need help. And um, there was somebody there to help me. And she took me through the steps in the big book. And my life completely changed from the inside out. You know, the circumstances of my life didn't change right away. But I changed. My perception changed. And I, I really believe that I have a disease of perception here. Um, my view of the world left to my own devices is completely off. Um, so when I worked the steps... I had the spiritual awakening that they talk about in the big book, and um, I was told that I needed to carry the message to other alcoholics. So today, what I do to stay sober is I come to meetings to try and be of service to others. Um, I call my sponsor every day. Actually, no. I call him every day that I remember to. <laughs> um, and, you know, I try and be of service, you know, in all my affairs, not just in meetings, but at work, and 
I am living a life beyond, beyond my wildest dreams. Um, I have an amazing job that I never, ever thought I could have. Um, I'm engaged to a wonderful man. We're getting married in September. Um, that's like beyond me. I, I, I can't even believe that, um, that I'm able to do that, you know. Um, I have wonderful women in my life who I get to sponsor and take through the steps and watch them grow and change and see the miracle happen before my eyes. It's an incredible gift. Um, and I just, I, I can't believe it, you know. I don't always feel so grateful, but I have people to remind me when I forget. And that's the important thing. You know, I don't have to be perfect. I'm not, um, I'm not fixed or cured by any means. But I have these built-in reminders of what the solution is. And that's, that's how I stay sober today. So if you're new, um, please grab somebody after the meeting, get a sponsor, and, and do the work. Because your life could really just be amazing. Thank you. Our second 10-minute speaker is Fernando. Um, Well, I think uh, I'm not going to make it today. (laughs) But I'm here. I took three three taxis, but I'm here. Uh, (laughs) uh, My name is Fernando, and I'm I'm an alcoholic. My um, sponsor is Christian, and I'm from this group. Um, I'm in my step four. My sobriety day is August 5th, 2005. And, uh, well, I'm born in Acapulco, Mexico. And um, um, I become for a big, big family. Uh, we are seven kids. I mean, we are seven kids, seven boys, and seven girls. I'm the baby. Uh, it's really, really big family. Uh, <laughs> I'm the baby. Um, actually, actually, um, my father used to own a, a factory from uh, hats. So they gave me a really good, um, education and I never miss, I mean, I have everything and, um, but I, I knew from, from the beginning that I was, uh, to spoil it. So my big brothers, they used to, they used to bother me all the time and I used to be crying and, uh, they used to bother me with that thing that you're gonna be gay. So that hurt me so much. It used to bother me a lot. And I used to go and tell my, my parents what happened, so they used to punish them. And it was all the time that happened. I never drank, I never smoked, and I never do drugs until when I started 25. My father is an alcoholic, and my brothers are alcoholics. So I knew that they was a really bad disease, but one time when I went to this club, I wanted to be with someone who used to drink, used to drink a lot. And my only way to be with that person, it was drinking. I started drink. I didn't like it. It was, it was really nasty taste. But I, I drink the first beer and I changed. I mean, I feel different. I was, I can sing, I can talk, I can do anything I want. So I started drinking, and I love it. I was drinking every, every night that I used to go out. I used to, I used to go out like three, three nights a week, and I used to be very popular in the clubs and all that stuff. And I started drink, but one day of my life, uh, Something happened in my life in certainly time. I guess it was like in a month. My, one of my, my brothers died. He was an alcoholic and he died, uh, for an accident. Then my cousin, who just, who used to live with me, he went to Mexico and he died too. 
like one week and the other week, I started drinking. I was so depressed. I used to go out. This, uh, the same night that I was too depressed and I drank, I went to the club and I, I get back home. I get back home and somebody, somebody, uh, jumped me. Uh, he almost killed me. He took everything I have and I was in the floor with a lot of blood, blood and everything. And, uh, that didn't stop me. I was still drinking all the time. One day I was, uh, I went to the bathroom and it was so dark and I broke my leg. I didn't drink for one month. I was with, with the cast and everything and I couldn't, uh, I told them I'm never gonna drink, but I went to a restaurant. I started drinking one beer and then I get drunk, totally drunk. And, my family used to tell me, you had a problem, but I never would admit that I was an alcoholic. And all this stuff, it was, I started drinking every day, every day. It was just one beer, two beers. But then I started drinking like four, five, six pack. It was so really bad. I remember last, last, uh, December, it was the 21st. And everybody was with his family, with the family. And I was too drunk. They was so very, they was very, my whole family was upset because I was drinking. And I just wanted, found a garbage can and, and I want to get into that. I want to get in, 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 inside. And I say, that's what I, that's who I am, a garbage. Because I can't, I can't stop drinking. One of my, my, my niece called the ambulance and I was in the ambulance when the, in Christmas in January and I said, I said, I can't, I, I can't do it no more. I went to rehab and I came back. I started going to groups. I went to this group, but uh, someone was talking in the front, but some people it was laughing in the in the middle of the room, and many people it was really uh they was laughing and playing around, so I said that's not gonna help me I mean I say these people is gonna get me crazy. I'm not too crazy yet and then uh I had my first relapse. I went to this place and I met Christian. he told me about about um Atlantic Group and I came and I just doing my job. I call my person every day and I'm doing my my steps. When I was seven uh when I was seven in seven days that happened the most the most bad thing in my life. Someone called me about, they told me that my mother passed away. And it was so hard for me. I don't know what to do. I don't want to, I don't want to drink because I know that it was so easy to take me. If I was still drinking, I could be dead. And I called my sponsor. I said, I can drink. I don't want to drink. But he just, I just want to die too. He told me, no, you, you, uh, you survive, you can cry, you can scream, but you had to be, come to the meetings. He was just like pulling me, come to the meetings, the big book is waiting for you. And I was just like, I don't know if I can do it. But then I say, I had to be, I had to be there. I had to do my meetings and I had to do my service. And sometimes I call, some, I call people, people call me and sometimes I don't know what to say. But I know that what I'm doing is right. I know that if I stay with you guys, I'm gonna be alright and I'm still gonna be sober. Because I know if I go back, if I still drinking, I'm gonna be there. 
usually what I used to do, I feel that uh, when I was drinking, I feel that it was the king passing from the cars. It doesn't matter if the, the cars they were running. I was like, I don't care. It's because all that, the, the liquor made me feel like that I was like Superman. I don't know. Just, I just want to do whatever I want. And I just, I just, I prefer to be here. I prefer do my job and do everything my sponsor say. I call people. And I always, always try to be the best I can. Thank you so much. Thank you for your survival. board. Our main speaker tonight is Thea. Thank you, everyone. Thanks. Hi, my name is Thea. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Hello. Oh, it's so great to be at a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's so great to see all your beautiful, shining faces and that you all made it here, despite the transit strike like like Lucy said you know it's well if it were a drink we would cross river and dale mountain and you know trek through anything um in fact i have a very powerful um and wonderful memory of being here with a group a little bit smaller than this but a group on 911 and this was the first place i wanted to come it was a tuesday and i wanted to be here because I felt like this was a place where I would be safe and where I would kind of get my grounding, would know what to do next. And that's kind of how it was from the very beginning. Um, and I still come to these rooms to know what to do next. Um, hang on, I left my water. Thanks. So um, uh, I'll start off with my kind of my vital statistics, I guess. My my um, sobriety date is August 31st, 1984, and uh, my sponsor is Jane, and I have five wonderful babies, uh, sponsees, um, and uh, I'm working all the steps every day, especially in the month of December. I find the month of December is uh, is really challenging for me anyway, and I think maybe for a lot of alcoholics. And uh, my home group is the Atlantic group. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the month of December is its great to speak in this month because it, it really is a tough month for me. Um, of course, there are a lot of, uh, there's a lot of social interaction this month, a lot of parties, a lot of smiling and happiness and cheerfulness, enforced cheerfulness. Um, the streets are very crowded. I work in Times Square. Kill me now. Um, <laughs> I <laughs> uh, can't, you know, I just, uh, I feel like we should give like tutorials for, for tourists starting maybe in like mid-October about what a sidewalk is. Notice the second syllable, side, walk, walk. So there, I just feel like I'm constantly standing between people who are standing four across, holding hands and looking up. <laughs> I'm always behind them in a hurry. So this, I think this is my, I don't own a car, but this is my version of road rage, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, it's most acute in the month of December when I'm supposed to be most tolerant and charitable. And I just feel like sometimes it's the most, uh, you know, the most taxing. But um, so I have these steps, which work now, as in all the months, but very, very helpful. Um, uh so a lot of white and white December is hard for me. You know, I talked about the, the um, togetherness and, and parties and social interaction, and of course drinking. A lot of uh, a lot of sugar and and booze is in this month, which is you know my two favorite food groups <laughs> at one point. But um, also most, I think the thing that makes it the toughest for me and always did is the thinking part. It's really not the drinking. It's all my ideas about what this month and what these holidays, whatever you celebrate, is supposed to look like. 
and what I'm supposed to be like and what I'm supposed to look like and how it's supposed to feel and all this stuff, you know, all this stuff. And um, that is that is really hard to get through is all that stuff. So I, I, I'm very always very happy when, when January 2nd rolls around. That's like my favorite day, you know, in some ways because it's the point farthest on the, on the calendar. Um, Anyway, that feeling of not belonging, of being on the outside looking in that, that um, both of our, our previous speakers alluded to is something that I, I definitely identify with, identified with right from the get-go, one of my earliest memories. And I think I often think of, of uh, rooms of alcoholics as, and of Alcoholics Anonymous as a pack of lone wolves. That's, it's, an, it's a paradox, but I really feel like that's one thing that we all share in common is that sense of being kind of a lone wolf, being an, a, a renegade, an outsider looking in. Um, I come from a lovely family, absolutely lovely family. No alcoholism in my family. I'd never been exposed to alcoholism. Um, my parents both drank growing up. You know, they would have a cocktail when my dad would come home from work. My parents are the kind of people that, you know, would have that cocktail and then get busy doing something and forget where they put it down. That never happened to me. I never, ever had that experience where I forgot where I put a drink or where I left one that was half half finished, you know. It just never happened to me, never, from the very first one. I, I drank it to the bottom. I finished it always. <clears throat> so... Um, I, I had no idea what even alcoholism was, um, but I knew right. I knew very early on that I, I was different. I felt other. Um, I felt a little itchy, a little uncomfortable in my skin, and I wanted to get out. I didn't know where, but I just knew it was not here, not now, not me. Not with you. This was the wrong place. This was the wrong people. It was the wrong color. It was too big, a little bit too short, a little bit to the left. It was just a little bit, you know, I just wanted it to be a little bit different, and I needed to get out. Um, over the course of, of uh, my life, that out has taken a lot of different forms. Uh, geographics, um, uh, certainly alcohol. Uh, dry goods, as people say, a lot of different, a lot of different means of getting out. But that was certainly something that I was always looking for. Um, by the time I had my first drink, which I guess I was about 13 or 14, I really needed it. I was really uncomfortable. Um, and, uh, and from the very first drink, the very first night that I drank, I, I drank to blackout. Uh, I just never understood any other way to drink. That was always the way I drank. Um, the idea was to get out. The idea was to, to anesthetize, to be unconscious. I, I didn't want to socialize. That was why I drank. Was I didn't want to mingle. Um, I was uh, a, a drinker alone. Um, I didn't, as I said, I didn't really drink in bars. I didn't really drink with other people. Partly I didn't want to share, and partly that I didn't trust you. Um, and I knew I was going to be drinking to unconsciousness. So I, I didn't know, I didn't trust you to be around you after I got to that point. Um, and I also wasn't sure what I would do. That was one thing that was, that was pretty consistent is <clears throat> I didn't always drink every day, but I, I could never be sure what would happen after that first drink. Uh, I could say that I'm only going to have one, but I could never really be sure. And um, that, when alcohol, the definition of alcoholism was put to me that way, it was pretty hard to argue with because that was definitely true. So anyway, my family, delightful people, calm, not very dramatic. Um, those poor people, I think they just wonder where the heck I ever came from. But just to give you one small example of the kind of, the kind of chaos, the kind of hurricane, you know, they talk about us sweeping through lives like a hurricane. The kind of chaos that I wrought upon these poor people and their perfectly sane and lovely reaction to it. Um, one time I was desperate to get to, this is, I think I was in high school, I was desperate to get to, um, I grew up in Connecticut, a party where there was a lot of, going to be a lot of stuff, drinking, all kinds of things in the city. So it was about 11 o'clock and as, as we know, you know, you have to drink to get to the point where you can go out to a party to drink. See, this is what I love about it. You are my tribe. Everybody nods. Yeah, I mean, 
it, my family, God bless them, would just not understand that. But obviously, you have to drink to get to the party where you can drink. So I had, I had, it took me till 11 o'clock. To, I had incredible tolerance right from the get-go. So it took me till 11 o'clock to kind of get to that state where I was like, okay, I'm ready to go. So 11 o'clock, I'm ready to go, and I get in the car to, to drive to the train station, and in the driveway there are three cars parked. It's Saturday night. There are three cars parked in the driveway. My parents are at a party themselves. And I get in the car, step on the gas, and I back up into one of the cars. So now I've rear-ended the car that I'm in with the car behind me. That was bad. I didn't like that sound. So I put it in drive and then into the other car. So now I've wrecked three cars without leaving the driveway. This is efficiency, three cars without leaving the driveway. So I I thought, well, what am I going to do now? I really have to get to this party. So... But I, I don't want my, you know, my folks are going to come home and they're going to, they're going to see this. So I know I'm going to be responsible. I'm going to call them. So I, I, I called the party. They'd left the number. I called them and tracked them down. My dad got on the phone. And I, so I said, uh, I just want you to know that I, I wrecked three cars and I'm, I'm going out and I may not be home tonight. So. <laughs> and he said, you wrecked three. He said, where are you? And I said, I'm standing in the kitchen. He said, where are the cars? I said, they're in the driveway. And so he kind of got the picture, and, and he said, well, are you okay? His first thought, are you okay? Are you hurt? And I said, no, I'm fine. Um, I said, it's kind of dark. I don't know how the cars are. And he said, well, he said, you know, it's Saturday night, and there's not a lot we can do about it right now. Everything's closed. So he said, why don't we talk about it in the morning? Why don't you go where you have to go, and we'll talk about it tomorrow. No screaming, no, you know, this is, this is the family I came from. And, um, so, um, I had no exposure to alcoholism or drama. Um, I, as I said, I was a loner from, from high school. I started taking independent studies. I didn't, it's kind of a miracle. This is, in a lot of ways, I think December is like a month of a lot of, a lot of different religions celebrate miracles of some version this month. And, um, and it's amazing for me to be standing in a room full of this many people. I didn't even want to go to class. I, I took independent studies th- straight through high school. I was in an alternative high school, so I wouldn't have to sit in a room with this many people. It just gave me hives. You know, I just didn't want to interact, any kind of social interaction. Didn't want to do it. I wanted to live all up in here. It was where I was comfortable. And I think in some ways fantasy was like my first, you know, drug of choice. Just any means of getting out. So um, then I went to a college that allowed me to take all independent studies. And um, I was, yeah, I was doing a lot of just uh, solo living in my own head. I did geographics right up in here. <laughs> and uh, so I, I don't know how I, somehow I, and I'm a writer. So, so a lot of times I rationalized that this, that, that drinking was a way of kind of opening up my imagination, you know. I was so inhibited, you know. So, yeah, right. So I just, I would drink to kind of loosen up my imagination and my creativity. Except the thing is, you know, I would never get anywhere. Because as I said, I was a blackout drinker. So I would drink to, you know, oblivion. And then what ideas I had, I couldn't remember anyway if I did have any. I, I once asked an old an old boyfriend, um, I couldn't remember, you know, I, when after I came to AA, I started to hear all kinds of stories about happy drunks and sad drunks, and I didn't have a lot of memories about my drinking, what kind of person I was. And so I asked him, was I, was I a happy drunk or a sad drunk? And he said, you were a horizontal drunk. And that pretty much describes it. So um, what happened for me was, was that I... I um, I really got to be increasingly uncomfortable. Um, after after college, I started pulling some geographics. I thought I didn't have a problem with change because I I went through one period of 15 months where I never lived in one place for longer than 12 months. I mean, for, I went for more 15 years where I never lived in one place for longer than 12 months. I never lived in one apartment for longer than 12 months. So I felt like, oh, I'm very comfortable with change, you know, no problem. 
but, you know, try to get me to change my modality, which is cut and run, right? That was, that was really my, my, what I did. And, um, so I, I kind of did that, that hurricane act all over. I, I started running out of geography to do geographics with. Um, I, New York, California, Texas, Iowa, New York twice, um, upstate New York, Connecticut. I moved a lot of different places. Um, and, um, I got to a, a point where I, I really wasn't sure what the truth was. I was working in this little job. My life had, had now shrunk down to where I'd, I'd crashed and burned in my parents' house. Um, I had this goofy little job, my parents' house and the liquor store, and that was basically the map of my travels now. It was so small. The bigger my ideas got, the bigger my fantasies got, the smaller my life shrank down. And um, the bigger my grandiosity, you know, my dreams of becoming, you know, I practiced my acceptance speeches for all of these great things that I was going to do and, and interactions I was going to have. But really, I was not even getting farther than the liquor store and, and work and home. But I, I couldn't really tell what reality was. I was working with this woman. She was in, in Alcoholics Anonymous. And um, she gave me that, you know, idea, try going for... Um, you know, try doing some controlled drinking. Try having two drinks a night. Yee. So I did try, and I couldn't do it. And, you know, I'm so willful. I've, I've always been so willful, and I was amazed that I couldn't do this. And, you know, I've always been, I always believed, I've always been faithful in that way, that I always had faith that I could figure it out, that I could work it out, that I could make it work, that tomorrow would be different. You know, that I could figure out some way to manage it. And in some ways, I think I'd been a spiritual seeker. I love the, the, um, uh, the definition of alcohol as being a spiritual thirst. So I had tried through all this seeking. A lot of it was, was, um, many different religions and ashrams and all different kinds of ways of solving my problem. I was going to figure it out. I was going to figure it out. I was going to get, I was going to get on top of this and manage it. Um, and I was horrified to find out that I, I couldn't do this controlled drinking. Um, then I started to, to, to do things where I had, um, I would try to manage the drinking by doing other substances. So I was kind of like, sure, I haven't had a drink in two days. But I was doing something else to manage it. And, and that was really, you know, the fact is, I, I couldn't get a day where I just had no substances in me at all. Um, and and that was heartbreaking when I finally came down to realize that. So I wandered into a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, and and like a lot of us, you know, no exposure to alcoholism, no understanding of what this disease was, and yet walk into a room full of strangers and feel kind of interested or some sense something here that's good and that's that's trustworthy and that's safe, and. Um, I didn't even know what I really came in here for, but I liked the stories. One of the things, you know, I'd run out of ideas, a writer with no ideas, and here these people were telling these fantastic stories. I thought, gosh, if I can just sit here and transcribe these, I'm golden, you know, this is great. So I came here for fiction and found the truth. Um, so much of what I thought I was here for, I certainly, I'll tell you something, I certainly did not come here to not drink for 21 years. That was not my motivation. So much of what I, what I thought I wanted or what I, what I planned, what my, what my strategy was, has been kind of backwards and upside down. Um, in some ways I think faith and, and thinking are opposite. Like I tried to really think my way into faith through all those different religions. I really tried to think, to figure it out, to get on top of it, to figure out a way to have a relationship with God. I knew that was important, but I didn't know how to get there, so I was trying flavor of the month, a lot of different ways. You know, if I only had the right, you know, uh, orange robes, if I only had the right meditation pillow, if I only found the right church. Um, I have a, my old sponsor, Cindy C. is now the chair of the Pacific Group. And she told me this story a couple of days ago that she, um, she, in her spiritual quest, she had 
took a course in this church where they tra- they kind of trained people to take an office in the church. And uh, it was a graded course. So you go through this course where you learn all about this stuff. And she said she got a B in God. <laughs> you know, I was so grateful when I came in here and I saw people of all different walks of life, all different descriptions, all different ages, colors, shapes, sizes, orientations. And all of us are here as a tribe. Somehow, I don't even know what it is that joins us together. There's no grading here. There's no. There are these 12 incredible steps. But there's no time limit. If you haven't finished a certain step by a certain, you know, month, you're out. I wanted some, I wanted some reason to leave. You know, when I came in, I listened to these stories. I stood in the back. I came late, left early. I wasn't sure I belonged, but I kept coming back. I was so curious about you all. I was so curious about how you all were here. And, and I didn't think that I could ever belong to a group like this. But I caught alcoholism. Someone said, um, why don't you try 90 meetings in 90 days? And I said, well, I, I would like to try that. If I'm an alcoholic, I certainly will do that. And right now what I'm trying to do is figure out figure out if I'm an alcoholic or not. And, and when I figure it out, and if I say yes, then I'll do that. And she said, why don't you try doing 90 meetings in 90 days, and then on the 91st day decide if you're an alcoholic? Well, that was really opposite. That's acting your way into a new way of thinking. And that has been a great gift that I've learned how to do. I've learned how to take actions that I don't understand or agree with right from that get-go and right from the point when someone said, get a sponsor. My whole goal had been autonomy. That's what I wanted. I wanted to be autonomous. The idea of getting a sponsor, that was dependence. And this idea of surrender, I mean, this whole thing that I'm trying to do is, is get a control. I want to get a grip. I want to figure it out. And these people are talking about surrender. I'm saying affirmation. I can do it. I can do it. And the first step is, I can't do it. I just, so much of it did not make sense to me. It was so upside down and backwards. And yet, somehow, it works. And, you know, that's what this, that's what this, this meeting, that's what this program has going for it, is that it works. It works as, as nothing else does. And it worked right from the get-go. What I knew how to do at the beginning was don't drink and come to meetings. I think that I did that for like the first five years. I was so confused in my brain. Everything was so confusing to me. I had so much fiction in there that I couldn't even figure out, you know, basic stuff. So I would just, I would don't drink and go to meetings. That's what I would do. I would just show up at meetings. And when there wasn't a meeting, I would go to the answering service. I just wanted to be around you. And I wasn't sure if I had alcoholism, but I did do 90 meetings in 90 days. And I'm so thrilled that there's someone here who has 90 meetings. That was, I just, I never thought that could happen to me. And I did. I went to 90 meetings in 90 days. I just did it a day at a time. On the 91st day, that same woman asked me if I, if I had decided if I was an alcoholic. And I really was still in my head. Maybe yes, maybe no, depending on how I feel. Sometimes I feel yes. Sometimes I'm in a different mood. I was still doing that back and forth thing. And she said, well, are, is your life better than it was 91 days ago? She had me there. There was no question. It was so much better. So what I thought was that whatever was wrong with me, my strange and unusual disease, which was very unique and different, was so parallel and undiscovered yet, yet to be discovered, because I was the only one, of course, but or the first, but that it was so parallel to alcoholism that somehow the treatment for alcoholism applied to whatever it was, the as yet to be named Thayaism that was afflicting me. And gradually, gradually, I got to the point where I could stand up and say, my name is Thea, I'm an alcoholic. And that's when the solution really began for me. I caught alcoholism in these rooms. And that was the best news. It was the thing that I fought the hardest, but it was the best news. Because once I knew that I had alcoholism, I knew what to do about it. I knew, I knew what to, what would help me. And there were people who had paved, paved the path who could tell me what to do and to help me through it a day at a time. And that's what I've been doing. And that's how I get through 21 Decembers. 
Um, it's, it's a really incredible program. So much of it I, I understand even less about now than I did when I first came in. And that's a great comfort to me. For someone who came in really, I came in here to figure it out, as I said. I didn't come in here to quit drinking. I certainly didn't come in here to surrender. I came in here to figure it out and to, and to manage, get a, get a grip on my life, to get a control of things, to manage things. And, and what I found is a great peace and a great comfort in not knowing. In not knowing. It's a great place to be. I just follow these steps. I'm powerless. That's the good news. Because then I need a higher power, which is wonderful. I can't, I've come to believe that my higher power can restore me to sanity. I don't even know what sanity is anymore, and I don't care. But I figure, you know, my higher power knows. So that's good. I don't even think about what sanity is. Because oftentimes, whatever I think is not what shows up. I have an idea of how things are going to look. And I say, okay, it's going to be blue, and it's going to be shaped like this. And then I'm looking around for something that's blue and shaped like that. I'm keeping my eyes open, looking for something that's blue that's shaped like that. And I miss it when it shows up and it's yellow and shaped like something else. And that's always how my sobriety has been. That the, the things that I, I have, that have most given me what I wanted have not been what I thought would give me what I wanted. It's not been what I expected. It's not been what I wanted. So I have to let go and surrender of all of my ideas. One of my most favorite prayers is, God, let me set aside everything I think I know about you, me, the steps in AA, that I may have an open mind and a new experience of you, me, the steps in AA. Grant me the power to see the truth. So I came into these rooms. I worked the steps. I got a sponsor. I think if you're new, I would say, Get a sponsor immediately. Don't drink and go to meetings. Get a sponsor immediately. Tonight. Tonight can be the night you get a sponsor. And it doesn't even matter who it is. Just ask someone. Just get it done. Don't shop. Just get it done. It's a great thing. The important part is your willingness. When I, the first time I ever st- I stood at this podium, Peggy Byrne gave me a little, a beautiful pin. It was such an act of kindness. I just moved to New York as a little gold pin that said, willingness is the key. I still have it. And it really is the key. I don't have to know anymore. I don't have to figure it out. I just have to be willing. And in most cases, it's willing not to know and willing to take direction, even when it's contrary to what I think I want. So tonight, for example, I had tickets to the Royal Court British production of Measure for Measure. And I'm a playwright. I adore Shakespeare. I've been looking forward to this show for months, months and months and months. But I never say no to an AA request. That's one of the things that I learned how to do is never say no to an AA request. Never. I never say no to a sponsee. I never say no to any AA request. And I'm, and I'm thrilled to be here tonight. And I know... Even though that was tough to say, you know, I took a deep breath before I said it. But I know that if I'd been in that show right now, what I would be doing is I'd be thinking about you. I would. I would be thinking, just like I questioned whether I made the, whether I was an alcoholic or not, I'd be sitting in the dark, all those wonderful words on the stage saying, gosh, maybe I should have, maybe I should have said yes. That's the first time I didn't. I wouldn't hear a word. So, it's so easy. And I called my sponsor and I said, can there ever be exceptions to this? And she, she said, well, what did you say? And I said, I said, yes. And she said, isn't that certainty comforting? <laughs> it is. I know what I'm going to say to an AA request, and that really is comforting. It really is great to be with you all. I can't think of any other place that I'd rather be especially this month, especially in this month of miracles. Um, so many, so my tradition is to celebrate Christmas, and so many Christmases I got down on my knees and took the pledge to God that this year I would not drink. So many of them. And couldn't keep it. So many times pouring, pouring red wine down my throat saying, tomorrow, tomorrow will be the day. I was always a person of great faith. I always believed tomorrow, you know. And it wasn't until I finally said, no, I can't, that it started 
to work. So confusing. I'll just tell this one little story that really is an example of, of how backwards and upside down it seems. It all came together for me one time when I was sitting in this meeting, and I was, you all have to use your imaginations here. I was sitting in a meeting, the door was behind me, and in front of me on this wall was a giant mirror. So I could look in that mirror and see the door behind me. And I suddenly had this realization that that's how my alcoholism is. This is the disease of perception. That all my life, I had been walking toward that door that I could see right in front of me, framed in the mirror perfectly, right there, right in front of me, and could never make it out, never make it out of the door, never make it out into the world. I could see right beyond the door, and I could never get out of the room. And And then I come into this room, and you people tell me, go that way. Well, how could that be the right direction? I could see the door right in front of me. And that's how it's been for all these years. Still, the direction I get doesn't make sense to me. And I'm just, I have great peace in being able to take it anyway. It works. It really does. And I'm so grateful, finally, that I don't have theaism, that I have alcoholism. I'm very grateful, and I hope that every one of you can catch this wonderful disease, too because it draws us together, this pack of lone wolves. And it's a really amazing ride. That's all I can say. It's just an incredible ride. Get a sponsor, don't drink, come to meetings, and celebrate with me on January 2nd when we get through (laughs) this season. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.